0: So um, I'm going to introduce Adam. And uh, something that comes to my mind as I introduce him is uh, saying that uh, we've had Dharma conversations since he was like about three or four. Uh, Well, when he was old enough to kind of be able to converse in a meaningful way, we would just have the most out there metaphysical conversations. And I used to say to Jane, you know, this guy, I don't know if it's so usual for a, for a four-year-old. She said, don't get your hopes up. I know you want to have him sit in the Dharma seat, but, uh, you know, just let him be. And So he was uh, he was kind of an old no-soul from an early time then for quite a while he just said no dad that's your that's your buddhaya stuff just give me leave me alone but then when he got back into it in his teens uh he really got into it and uh and the dharma has been in him uh very deeply uh for the last mm, six or seven years i'd say when he started he did his first retreat when he's 18 he's 24 now And um, he's done a three-month retreat, he's done a one-month retreat at Spirit Rock, a couple of month-long Tibetan practice retreats, -retreats, self-retreats, and numerous shorter retreats. And graduated from Naropa recently, Naropa University, um, which is a a Buddhist university, contemplative school, um, and um, has... a. Really good understanding, both conceptually and, I think, experientially. And uh, Here he is in the Dharma seat, all these years later, so it makes me proud. And uh, I really respect, as I said, his wisdom and his good heart. So, it's great to have you up here.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it is lovely to be here with all of you people. Um, so my name is Adam, and before I begin, I'd actually like to do just a a short um, little exercise with you guys. So um, I would just invite you to close your eyes, and um, I'd like you to go into the library of your mind and recall a time when you had something. That was really important to say. You had something to say to someone, and um, you felt like you needed to express it, but for whatever reason, um, some experience of fear or vulnerability um, or just inhibition in some way paralyzed you, and the words just wouldn't come out. So calling this memory to mind, um, allow it to become vivid, vividly real for you. You can notice almost like an IMAX screen, what you see, what you feel, what you hear. You can notice how the other person is relating with you. And now, um, perhaps most importantly, notice how you feel inside your body. Notice what, what is the experience maybe in your stomach or your, your heart, your abdomen, your head. You have this thing you want to say, and yet something in the space, you're feeling shut down. So as you're mindful of this experience, you can also notice um, what the experience of suppressing something is like. You have this natural expression, um, and yet there's something suppressing it. Noticing if there's thoughts that go with that experience. Okay, and uh, so as you're ready, you can open your eyes and return to this moment. Shake it off. Were people able to get some sense of that experience? Yeah. So uh, the title of my talk tonight <laughs> is all about this, this, this moment in time. Um, it's called uh, Taking the Leap, Voicing the Difficult as a Path of Bravery, Awareness, and Intimacy with Life. So as my dad said, um, yeah, this talk is uh, inspired by um, my final thesis at Naropa. Um, yeah, I, uh, and in in that sense, I actually, I want to dedicate this talk to um, uh, the founder of Naropa, Chogim Trumpa Rinpoche. Let's see if I have a picture. This guy. Um just in gratitude for, uh, for creating this school. And, um, you know, what, uh, regardless of what you've heard of him or think of him, um, he was this really eccentric, you know, brilliant star of a being. And <laughs> he really uh, shook things up. And one way or another, he was just so fearlessly himself. You know, one way or another, he, didn't, he really didn't hide anything. And so, um, you know, in that vein, um, the teachings um, that he gave have really affected my life and made my life more workable. So this is just an expression of that gratitude and expression of gratitude to all my other teachers, so. And so, um, in that vein, I wanna—I'm um, just gonna talk about a couple, my, a little bit about my experience, and some teachings that have really helped me work with this moment. Um, what I noticed, um, uh, and and those teachings are coming from the Tibetan perspective or Vajrayana perspective, and I'll talk for a little bit, and then I'd love to open it up for some questions, comments criticisms, um, and just, yeah, hear what you guys think and have to say. Um. So, as I see it in that moment, um, just to bring this theme to life, you know, um, we live in this culture where there's a lot of unspoken rules. At least that's what I found growing up, you know, and you know, you kind of self-selectively, you know, at the high school level, or you know, from a really young age, you you see who's your kind and who's not your kind, and there's all these kind of social cues, right? And um, it can be really uh, it can be really intense to be sometimes yourself, in the midst of all of that um, um, socialized uh, experience. So I guess this is where it's coming from, uh, this talk. Um, And what I found, the central question at hand is um, my question in, in living the talk. It's like, how can we learn to express ourselves genuinely with another person, um, with an open heart, in that moment of intensity? You know, it doesn't matter whether it's um, it could be like passion and attraction, or um, like real rage or anger, or one of those really intense states. And it's it's like wow, the energy between us is so strong that um, I wanna I wanna check out from the situation. Um, Um so along those lines i 'm just going to share a little bit about my experience and my my journey um, as I wrote about in my thesis i, I grew up in this um, spirit rock Theravadan tradition um, and where a lot of uh, a lot of the training was on um Keeping the five precepts and keeping really ethical conduct and doing um, my best to be a, be a, basically be a good person and I think that's of course that still holds true today for me um, and um, what I noticed you know I, I really got a lot out of going on a retreat um, starting at like fifteen, starting to get in meditation and um, Really getting into the teachings of I'm not this body, I'm not this mind, I'm not this these thoughts. Um, so it was just such an incredible thing to experience firsthand on retreat. This just have little glimpses of like, wow, these thoughts are popping up, you know, but they're they're not me, you know. Um, and. Where I found some difficulty is that uh, around experiences of anger, you know, there's there's a lot of teachings in the Theravadan tradition, um, which are really really beautiful teachings. To using using you know in the moment of anger, we um, cultivate loving kindness and try to um, extend that that well wishing. Um, Um, Towards the anger, towards the experience of anger, and um, you know, being uh, being young, maybe I think I I confused that 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 teaching to mean that I shouldn't experience anger or I shouldn't. yeah, basically that anger was bad, or or this intent, this intensity of experience is really not okay. You know, if I, I can just let go of it, it's just passing phenomena. Um, and um, yeah, really, I, I can look back on a period of my life from uh, sixteen, well, really, really, really young, actually, and see that. Um, in trying to be a Buddhist and trying to be this archetype of who I thought I was supposed to be, um, I really, like, push down this energy inside of me. Um, it was just interesting. To f- I don't know if anyone shares this experience, but sometimes uh, that we try so hard to make the anger go away, and we just, it doesn't go away. So then, how do we how do we work with that experience? Um, and and moreover, in my experience, uh, I felt real burning sort of guilt and shame every time I would I would you know anger would start to percolate up. It would be the guilt inwards, or if some, if I see it in someone else, then it would be maybe pride, or you know they're they're so angry, or anything like that. Um. so I mention all this to say that um, my life was really incredibly rocked uh, about two years ago um, or maybe 15 months ago when um I did a a winter retreat in Crestone with uh, Reggie Ray, Dr. Reggie Ray. And um, he is a senior student of uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Um, And on that retreat, it was kind of a surreal uh, experience um, on so many levels, really. where I realized in in glimpses and in moments that who I thought I was trying to become through this practice um, were just my thoughts, you know, just who I wanted to be, but not necessarily um, somehow I saw that there was something more um, that I was missing. Um, I think I'm just going to read a little bit of this thesis because it talks... About that. Hmm. Here's here's the story. I'm just gonna go for it. Over the past year and three months, however, I've been on an altogether different journey. December 2010, I sat a month-long Datun with Dr. Reggie Ray. Over the course of the retreat, I fell in love with my quirky, sexy, sharp, sweet meditation instructor, Holly. We began engaging in a hot, cold, on-and-off love affair that finally ended 15 months later. Spending time with Holly, six months older than I, has left an irreversible mark on my life. Oh, six years. Six years. (laughs) Directly put, Holly has challenged me to communicate openly and honestly on a level I had never previously dreamed possible. Both of us being Scorpios, our cosmic agreement has been that no matter how painful the circumstance, it is nearly impossible for us to withhold the truth of our experience from each other. If we withhold, the other person can sense it right away. In other words, the jig is up. From the perspective of my ego, this relationship, much of the time, has been something of a nightmare. (laughs) Looking back on the months, it has been one challenging episode after another, along with some timelessly sweet moments of connection, revealing more mental stains and defilements than I wish to admit. But on on a fundamental level, I changed. Through this relationship, I learned how to cry in the presence of another I learned how to look someone in the eyes and say, I love you, and mean it from the bottom of my heart. And most terrifyingly, on several occasions, I surrendered to the feeling of communicating the living energy of rage in my body. I mention this not because I'm advocating explosive catharsis on a frequent basis. I don't advocate this. I mention this as an acknowledgement of the healing that has, been, that has taken place. Finding courage to embody this level of authenticity, I've reclaimed estranged, forbidden parts of myself. I'm more willing to engage in what is fierce inside of me as well as what is tender. I'm more willing to leap into the unknown and speak from my heart, not knowing how the other person will respond. So... That's just a little bit. Um, So what I really want to talk about tonight is um, what uh, therapists Gay and Kathleen Hendricks would call the one-breath communication. They th- these two therapists, um, they're pretty amazing, awake people, um, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks. They s- they've been with thousands and thousands of people, and what they've seen is that in terms of our relationships, um, what we really need to say can really be said in almost one breath. Um, some examples they they use in their book is uh, "I love you," "I have lost respect for you," "I'm angry with you." Um, so you know, in our lives, in um, our relationships, we all have perspectives on how things happen. And, you know, what's happening? Um, and we're not going to have the same perspective because we have all of our history and all that perception that's coloring that history. And so in that sense, there's not a lot um, we might agree on things, but it's hard to really get a cohesive story about what what's actually going on. But what they would say is that when you make a statement like that, a one breath statement, the power of the voice, you're saying something that you feel in your heart and you, um, that is coming through cognitively in your mind. And there's a real syncing up of your experience. This is you know your direct experience. And so someone's not going to argue with you about, hey, you're not feeling angry. Um, So what I've found um, for myself um, is that it's like an incredible leap to to move from that place of contraction inside where we we don't want to open up or I don't want to open up um, to acknowledging that actually I um, I really do want to connect with this person or even though I'm really angry that that anger is is um, just a sign of my caring in the relationship um, in this uh, in this sense i'm really inspired by uh, a Mahayana teaching uh, Mayana Buddhist teaching that talks about taking the obstacles as our path of uh, of liberation, so that every time that we recognize um, in our lives as we're moving throughout our day this contraction with you know the person at work or the you know, our partner or whoever, we can really identify, oh, we can feel that contraction and then it's this sacred opportunity to, to open up beyond that experience, beyond what we know what's going to happen. Here's a quote from Chögyam Trumpa. The basic problem we seem to be facing is that we are too involved with trying to prove something, which is connected with param- paranoia and a feeling of poverty. When you're trying to prove something or get something, you're not open anymore. You have to check everything, you have to re- arrange it correctly. One might set records in terms of numbers and quantities that we have built the greatest, the biggest. We have collected the most, the longest, the most gigantic. Um, but who's going to remember this in 100 years, or 10 years, or 10 minutes? The records that are counted, of those mo, the records that count, are those of the given moment of whether or not communication and openness are really taking place right now. This is the open way, the bodhisattva path. A bodhisattva would not care even if he received a medal from all the Buddhas proclaiming him the bravest bodhisattva in the, of, in the entire universe. He would not care at all. You never read stories of the bodhisattvas receiving medals in the sacred writings. <laughs> and quite rightly so because there is no need for them to prove anything. A bodhisattva's action is spontaneous. It is the open life, open communication, which does not involve any struggle or speed at all. So, in, in, the, in that spirit... Um, it's been really profound for me to start to um play with the perspective that my passion or my rage or my anger that that's really the good stuff that there's really life energy in this experience and moreover that when someone is is um you know ex- uh, relating to me in that way that there's there's um there's a, actually a lot of wakefulness in these states of being. And it's not so much, now there's, there's obviously some caveats here. Um, but I'm just establishing that perhaps the energy, the basic energy of our, of our mind states are not bad. that energy is just energy, right? So one thing that was very meaningful, uh, I have a meditation teacher, Frank Berliner, who teaches at Naropa. And uh, he would lead us in Tonglen class. He would teach us the practice of um, breathing in other people's suffering and then uh, giving back or opening to them in spaciousness. And the pith wisdom message he would always give us um, was cut the storyline and relate with the energy itself. So in that sense, when we just let go of the conceptual perspective and we feel in our body what's happening... Um, it's this amazing opportunity, right, to actually allow that energy to make us even more wakeful to the present moment. That when we, we allow space to aerate our experience that we can allow um, that really intense conversation to be um, just be as it is, right? Um, In the Dzogchen tradition they actually have a point of view that the the stronger the emotion in some ways the better because it's just another opportunity to practice, oh, I'm about to go into a storyline, and then just come right back into the experience of it. Um, and I guess what I want to say on that is just that it's not what I think they're talking about. It's not like a cognitive process where we're figuring it out. But it's more like we're allowing our life to be, we're allowing ourselves to be so open to our, 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 the people around us, and so affected um, in such a way that our involvement is complete, and so we're not um, monitoring our experience in that way and trying to keep keep track. I'll be really curious to see if anyone has any response to that. Um. Um. I like uh, there's an there's an author named Kelly Bryson, who teaches nonviolent communication, and uh, he has a book uh, called uh, "Don't Be Nice, Be Real: Uh, Balancing Compassion Passion for Self with Compassion for Others." And he has this chapter in there where he says, "If you're going to be in a fight, don't fight fair; fight fun." Like, you know, that part of ourselves where we want to make it fair. Is that you know, I have this perspective, you have this perspective. Um, he says, no, get rid of that. Can we, can we in somehow enjoy our experience of, of uh, relating to each other in this way? Um, so that's just an interesting perspective that I wanted to bring up. Um, but thinking about intense experience and intense relational interactions um, I think there's something really powerful also about keeping uh Sila and keeping uh, I don't want you to get the sense that I'm advocating just blowing up at someone or you know um. Just that we should say what's what 's on our minds all the time, um, i've 've played around with that for myself, and it doesn't work out so good <laughs> um. So I think I think there's there's a really uh, fine line where our mindfulness practice has to be informing everything, and we, you know, there's a word in Pali, sati sampajaya, which means mindfulness, clear comprehension. So every Every moment, there's a context, right? And what might be relevant and useful in one situation is not necessarily going to be the same in the next, because it's all, all changing. So how do we how do we know when is a good time to speak our truth, or open up, or be authentic? You know, how do we figure that out? In my experience, I find that um, the experience of closing down is so claustrophobic that we, we actually, it's like we can't help but want that oxygen, you know, of like, is this going on for you, (laughs) you know? That in naming the elephant in the space between me and someone else, naming that that elephant in the room, it's like actually this tremendous gift to the situation because probably if I'm feeling, um, if one person is feeling angry or upset and they're putting out that energy, well, you know, we're open systems of energy, so... We're affected by one another. And if I can name that and al- allow that to be there and check in with you, then then it gives it a chance for us to arrive at a new understanding. Um, and in that sense, I think the only thing that we can know is our intention, right? We can't, we can't know, not, not not that we know our intention, but what we can do is we can show up with a sincere intention to, um, if we're in conflict, to, um, If if I recognize that basically I am a good person, and basically you are a good person, and we both, possess that same capacity for wisdom and compassion, um, then we can relate and we can allow that, whatever's in between us, to be there because we know that's not everything that we are. So, how are we doing on time? Hmm. <laughs> I'll I'll read one more part of my paper and then I'll open it up for conversation. I'll, I'll touch on two things actually. When we speak from the truth of our experience, our ability to embody our unique gifts, talents, and skill sets exponentially increases. As we learn how to speak clearly to and from the living energy in our body, our authentic voice emerges, connecting the warmth of our heart, the vision of our mind, and the presence of our spirit. Aligned with the flow of life energy, our voice becomes an instrument of our well-being, empowering us to face and move through our fear-based contractions and inhibition, prompting us to live a life more courageous, creative, and fulfilling. Um, In my study on this topic, I spent some time um, exploring the notion of the chakras um, in the Hindu tradition, or you know, we're from Berkeley, so we know what we're talking about. <laughs> but basically, these these energy centers in our body, and um, what is so striking to me is the voice is this bridge between our our lower our lower part our are more individual sense of self, and then these higher chakras, which are all more about you know cosmic awareness, and um, like so. So, it's a really interesting porthole um, that mediates this this energy flow. And um, elementally, they talk about in um, in the teachings on the chakras that the throat chakra is the element of space or ether. And this the quality of that space or ether is um, it has the ability to purify. And it's also, so when we say it, when we get it off our chest, it, it does feel good, doesn't it? Sometimes. <laughs> if we say it well. And also, the more that we say, um, you know, what we speak, it's coming down from our thoughts, from this sometimes seen as the higher chakras, you know, from this very subtle form of energy into sound. So it's also manifestation. We're actually, it's a creative act to speak. So in sitting with this understanding... what i found is that for myself, this chakra, this energy center, this voice is such a powerful, powerful, powerful um, vehicle for transformation. And I think inherent in that is a sense of choice. That when I feel, when a person feels like they could speak to whatever is really going on inside of them, that that's a choice. They could say it or not say it. And it's a pretty bold way to live one's life, to be able to really meet another person directly in that way. I would say that one of the most powerful things we could do as human beings. And I would say that we actually really want that connection. We're really, in general, I, I feel most of the time, starved for that kind of relationship where we're actually talking to each other and relating with you know, one another that way. Chogyam Trungpa wrote a book called Crazy Wisdom. And um, he was talking about the life of Padma Sambhava, which is uh, the Buddha of Tibetan Buddhism, who kind of brought the teachings to Tibet. And, um, but anyhow, he brings up this very interesting notion that um, in order to be really uh, authentic, Really, ourselves. What's what's necessary? He talks about hope and fear. There's a lot of talk about hope and fear. So as long as I'm hoping that you'll have one experience of me, I'm afraid that you're not gonna you're not gonna have a certain experience of me. And so, as long as I'm coming to our conversation that way, um, I'm trying to manipulate you in some way. You know, it might be really subtle but I'm tr- I want, I, I want some, some, some kind of response, and I don't want another response. So he says that crazy wisdom is actually the experience of hopelessness. Not, not in the sense of, um, not in the ordinary sense of the word. But we really have to give up any sort of hope that we're going to say something and, and there and another person is going to take it necessarily the way that we hope that they will so that's a pretty powerful uh notion that we don't really have control over another human being and um Really, we're left with ourself. We're left with our own experience in this body that will decompose and pass away. And to me, that is like an incredible opportunity for choice. It's like, how do I want to show up? How do I, you know, I have this choice to be whoever I am in this moment because it is wide open. So that has been probably the most liberating inside of my life, you know. That we're free to try it out. We're free to experiment with who we are and to try on something and to say something and, you know, oh, that didn't really feel good, so I have to apologize. It didn't feel good. Or whatever. Yeah. So, that is my talk. (laughs) And I'd love to hear anything that comes to mind, anything you have to say, or questions, or whatever.
2: Well, thank you, Adam. I, uh, I'm i not really sure what I want to say, but I really love your talk, and I love seeing you sitting there. And... Um, I really love and enjoy Trump Rinpoche. I met him in Vermont once uh, in 73, and I never had any kind of personal relationship with him, but he had such impact on me for the rest of my life. And his writings and his teachings were so wild and and bold and grounded and just so appreciative of that kind of energy and honesty and Mm -hmm. truth. And I felt you, like you hit it right on the nutshell, that last thing you talked about. And I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting it and I can't say exactly what it was. That last thing you just said, huh? the hopelessness. Mm. I just, um, I think that's the key for me is living in this gap of not going with the mind in me that wants to control the experience and, and uh, manipulate You know, it's, um, that's all. Thank you so much for for that one teaching, that reminder. It's something I want to live by. The aloneness, coming Mm. back into aloneness and yet still for some reason relating Mm. to people and not being sure how to relate, but just, I don't know, something about spontaneity and
1: trust. Um, Thank you very much. Can I say something to that? Yeah, I really
2: appreciate what you said. That's it.
1: I really appreciate uh, what you say about aloneness. Because I think that it's really this sense, we have to give up our sense of uh, hoping not to be alone, really. Mm. Because the truth is that we are on our journey. Everyone is on. Each and every one of you is on your own journey. And so am I. And, but, but in that sense, that sense of aloneness can cut so deeply and then we really want to connect with other people or I really want to connect with other people because I feel that. you know The more I feel that, it's, it's more and more alone, but it's also more and more connected.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: thank you.
3: Thanks for your talk. Um, it really resonated with me because I grew up in a household where had really, um, sort of angry father. And so anger was this really scary emotion mm-hmm. for me. And, um, so growing up, I was sort of always the peacemaker and, you know, kind of swallowed my own, uh, any anger I had and was, um, and really suppressed that part of myself until maybe like a year ago <laughs> or something like that. It was a gradual process, I think. But, um, but and then having studied buddhism as well it was also this conflict of figuring out how to come to terms with that anger inside of me or or resentment or any of these emotions that were like really fiery and kind of scary but what i finally was realizing was um that coming to terms with that inside myself was also and in accepting it and loving it was um a gift I can also give other people because I also wasn't accepting it in other people. I was also really afraid of everyone else's anger mm-hmm. and then was sort of judgmental of that, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that mindfulness for me kind of came up, uh, allowed me to create a sp- uh, like a healthy space within myself to let that, or container, to let myself experience that anger and to let that be okay. And then all of a sudden I was finding I was able to like, take care of myself and set healthy boundaries for myself and communicate my needs in a way that just created much healthier relationships because I owned my anger because it was it's such a communicator it's a communicator for something inside of us that we need to honor it's just learning how to communicate it our needs those needs that it's expressing to other people is so important you know so I think that's where the mindfulness came in for me was like letting that anger come up because it was such an important communicator and teacher for me but then figuring out then you know looking at it and observing it and then learning how to communicate that was where the mindfulness was such a powerful tool Um, but it was really nice to hear you talk about that because it was such a struggle for me to accept that part of myself and now I feel so much more alive than i ever did before Mm. you know and like really connected and vital in a way i never was Mm. you know and and that's a really exciting aliveness i've never experienced so i totally agree with you it's it's powerful and then you just kind of have to learn how to deal with that but it's it's such a good part of ourselves to tap into and accept and appreciate
4: too so thank you Hi. It's funny that you brought this up but because it was uh, exactly the same with me, too. I couldn't express express my anger at all my entire life. And like a year ago, it all came exploding. I mean, I became angry all the time. And so my husband was like, what, what's up with you? You know, you're getting angry. I didn't know. I didn't choose for this kind of woman who's angry all the time. So I've been experimenting with that for a year now. And I got really how can I express this, got flooded, really, I couldn't deal with it, I just got lost in the anger, because I, I, this was new for me, and so, uh, last couple months, I have two little kids, I've been experimenting with them, because it's, it's easier for me when I get angry to really uh, distance myself a little bit from the anger, and and I, in my language, there's like being angry. There are two different words for that. So it's like expressing anger, and then there is being angry. It's like a different, a different mm-hmm. thing. And so I've been feeling that that you could, that I can actually express anger, but not be angry. So mm-hmm. there's like a little bit of two layers or something or mm-hmm. so. And outside, I'm angry, but inside, I'm I, I think it's the intention that you talk about your stay. I don't know, and so they feel the difference. I'm—I've been working with that. It doesn't work so well with my husband yet, but I'm—I'm working on it. You know, it's—it's it's already, and so it's—it's it's a process, and it's really—it's really interesting, and I'm—I feel like my connection with my kids are better because they feel that. Their mom is not really rejecting them because there's that still that intention, although she she's really pissed or angry with them. And so it's I don't know it's it's interesting. <laughs> so thank you for your talk. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you.
0: One one last one. Oh,
1: I just. I just want to thank you as well. Um, I'm actually just ending a, a, a trial, um, and uh, a divorce trial, and it's been a very, very high-conflict situation. And uh, I never really felt comfortable you know, being angry and always wanted to shield my children from anything like that. And uh, I don't really have anything specific to say because I'm still fi- sort of figuring it out, but it's uh, sort of amazing that it's sort of coming up for me really powerfully. And I was meditating on that before you even talked, or I knew what you were gonna say. Mm. Um, just on that, just sitting with that. Um, but I just, just again, thank you.
0: Oh, I thought it was gonna be the last one, but this is his mom. He's got his hand, her <laughs> hand raised, so I better, better not bypass her.
1: <laughs>
0: I'll hear about it later.
5: Um, thank you, Adam. I thought it was a great talk. And I also want to just add a couple of things. Um, I think on one <laughs> hand, I know from in my development, um, it, when I was afraid to express anger and sometimes not even, almost afraid to even feel it, uh, uh, the path would be that I'd get spacey and maybe passive-aggressive. So I'd still mm-hmm. act it out, but just not in a very straight way. Um, and that's not, I think, the healthiest way. But I also want to put in a word, uh, having gone through the 60s in Berkeley and the 70s and encounter groups and all that, that I think on, in some ways, in a, in a historically, to liberate ourselves, we, we started saying everything that was on our minds. And that wasn't so healthy either. So um, one thing I want to put in is that sometimes um, it's really, well, I think it's really important to look at the anger because often it's um, related with blame or shame, blame for someone else. And um, then I can get caught in the story, na 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 and uh, I'm not, and, I, and thinking, oh, well, I'll just uh, let them know and then that will relieve my anger. But it doesn't really do it because usually there's a component of responsibility that I have to take for what's going on. I also think that it's important to... Um, remember about the refractory period where originally when when we're threatened we just our mind just reacts and um, and we see everything to corroborate evidence that we're right and the others wrong but it's not really rational so i mean i i think that old old grandma's saying of take a walk or you know whatever is is really important like pay, the cultivation of patience because it's really so much easier to be heard when you express it sort of later, well, I was angry. When and I want to let you know. And especially with the intention of I care about our relationship. So that's just some additional words from mom.
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: well, okay. I, Oh,
0: can I? I, I want to say some words from dad. <laughs> <a moment. Okay. laughs> this will be short. It's your talk, but. First, I, I, I really uh, I do appreciate your point so much that I, I gave a talk on it a, a couple of months ago, and uh, and I agree that there's so much of a life force that can ke- be kept inside as we become good Buddhists or practitioners that we're we're really missing the point, and that there's a uh, the point is to be more alive and more mm-hmm. real, and uh, I I've given. Uh, I've turned a number of people on over the years to a book that uh, really points to this because it's so common for people who are practitioners to think that they should stuff their feelings. It's a a wonderful uh, collection of essays uh, called Meeting the Shadow, The Hidden Power in the Dark Side of Human Nature particularly, and it's a collection of a lot of Jungian essays, but uh, really brilliant minds, where, uh, and it's been a, a an eye-opener for a lot of practitioners who say, oh, wow, yeah, there is all this aliveness, all this power, if I can just get in touch with it. And as you point out, that underneath that anger is caring, mm-hmm. is vitality is a a genuine connection. And so the art I I see is like not just blurting out as you point out doesn't always work but really to first feel what's going on there and if you can not get in touch with where that's coming from. Sometimes that might mean saying hey I'm really angry right now but also in the process, saying this is what's also going on. If we can hang out with it for a while, to be mindful enough to to feel that mm, softness, that vulnerability that's that's there in uh, underneath that anger, because the anger is a kind of protection, and then the the softness of vulnerability is the is the is the true avenue to connection.
1: Yeah. Just Justin, since you brought that point up, um, I really do hear what you're saying about not just spouting it out, or you know, getting. S- I think the point I want to make is the self-righteousness. It comes back to the sense of is there an I here who is angry at someone, or is it just energy really coming up? Because if we can stay directly with the energy, if we can truly be fully in that full involvement with our experience, then, then that there is wisdom, and that, that is wisdom. And so, um, since my talk is right on that, I, I hear that sometimes, sometimes the storyline is so sticky that it's not wisdom, it's just not. And other times, we can be in the calm in the middle of the hurricane, and there's something really clear coming through so I just want to offer that. And I want to, yeah. So,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So in closing, I want to thank you for being so kind in your attention. And in this collective room, all this wakefulness, all of our meditation practice, whatever goodness, whatever merit, whatever virtue has come from this gathering and this experience, may we offer it in all our relationships and all our relations. Boundless as the sky, say the traditional phrase. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may all beings be liberated. And then the Chogyam Trumpas bit. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, may the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Thank you.